Um, welcome back, folks, to the Adaptations Podcast, where every week or bi-weekly <laughs> at this point, uh, I bring on guests who uh, specialize in some form of fitness. And this week, we have my good friend, uh, colleague, uh, and honestly, like sort of like a little bit of a mentor, because I'm learning a lot from you, man. Uh, Mitch Bernier. Bernier. Yeah, Ber- Bernier. Bernier. Yeah. Bernier. <sighs> Dude, I've been... I've been wanting to put you, get you on the pod for a long, long, long time. I think like w- when we first spoke, I was like, "Man, I can't wait to get this guy on the pod. I'm gonna get him on the pod." Mike Chang, yeah, much better. I'm so gonna so get him on the Mike, pod because yeah. he's got like a phenomenal story. Like you got a phenomenal story, uh, very interesting background. I know you called it like kind of cliche. I think that's the word you use. You some maybe use something else. Yeah, I say cliche because yeah. I feel like that's what everyone does. Now. <laughs> yeah, everyone yeah, has. You know, the funny I part. Know, I don't even know if you want to save save this part for recording. Oh, this is all recording already. Oh, it's already. Yeah, recording. yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. Eric's so, slick with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, no, that's what I say. A cliche because you're supposed to have a story, right? Yeah. Right. Not but, everybody has a story. Right. Not everyone does have a story. Yeah. And then there's the whole fake it till you make it. Right. Whole fake it till you make it. But I, I say it's cliche because if if I think about myself in my early twenties, this is not the direction that I thought I'd be in. Yeah. Not at all. What what were you doing in your twenties? Oh so in my twenties, let's see. So kind of dabbling in college at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, young father. Well, I had my first daughter at that time, you know, husband, father. How old that? Oh my god. Um let's say well, I mean, it will go even earlier. I think I was 18, 18 when my daughter was born. Okay. Right? So super young dad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I feel like I did what I had to do. I was working full time. I was making money. Um, at one point for a little bit, I had two jobs. I was <laughs> working. I was working. Um, I don't know the name of the company, but uh, it was like uh, telemarketing for cell phones. Okay. Right? Um, as well as uh, working for Walgreens low-level associate for Walgreens. So for the telemarketing job, I remember going in there first thing in the morning. I'd get late. I'd be late all the time. And you'd go in there. You'd make your sales. And if you made your sales, eight sales, you could go home early. So I would go in there. I'd be late, 8.05. I'd have all my sales done by maybe 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Go home, you know, go home, paid. And then I would go back for the night shift. I think the night shift was like 5 p.m. to like 11 or something like that. And I'd do the same thing. I'd go in there. I'd make my sales. And then I'd be, you know, done by 7.30 and, and go home. So I, I worked all day, quote, unquote. Um, but, you know, that job got well, – it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I was already making more money than some of the high school teachers that taught me. Okay. So you could imagine – you could imagine what kind of chip – <laughs> that puts on your shoulder. I was already an asshole. Like I'll say it straight up. I was already an asshole. Um, I had a huge chip on my shoulder growing up um, from multiple things. And I was like, oh, man, I'm making some money now. Maybe I don't need as much college as I think. Right. Um, and then after that, my my wife at the time, she went on maternity leave and her boss loved me so much because most mostly because of her, but also because I'm a hard worker. And I just basically took her role. And within three or four months, he got me promoted to an assistant store manager position. Okay. So now I was making even more money. You know, think about, and I'm an old guy, right? So just think about how much your, have you been to Florida? Yeah. Think about how much your New York money spreads in Florida mm-hmm. now, right? In today's current settings. Now, imagine, I don't know, I guess 20 years ago, nine, you know, 
2000, let's just say early 2000s, mid 2000s, being 21, 22, 23 years old, already making 50, 60, $70,000 on the books, off the books. Oh my God. That feeds, it, that feeds an ego that you probably shouldn't have. <laughs> at least I'll say it now in, in reflection. I'd be like, I was an asshole at that time. And a lot of it was because um, making a lot of money and not understanding the cost of that. But like an asshole, like how? Because um, I don't see you like just spitting on people and, you know, oh, abso- like shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Sh- straight asshole at that time, going out, picking fights with friends and family, you know going out to the bars um yeah but i I think like now you were 20 at the time yeah uh how many years i I gotta ask how old you are um i think this is my 41 42nd birthday oh you don't look 42 yeah you you know you know what the secret to that is i thought you were like yeah so being athletic and whatnot right (sighs) being athletic doing the boxing you know what the secret of youth is what is vaseline Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not what I was yeah. expecting. I was so, so expecting, you, okay. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, you don't want to get cut and stuff like that. So you put Vaseline yeah. on your face. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, you know, and MMAs and boxing and stuff yeah. like that. So Vaseline. You want to oh, <laughs> I'm going to do that. <laughs> do that for 15 years. It helps uh, It helps moisturize. So quick tangent, yeah. because I've always wondered, why do they put Vaseline on the face? Well, again, to, so so you slip. Oh, right? okay. So maybe the gloves slip off as so much. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Um, and also sweat. Yeah. So, you know, you get some Vaseline on your brow, that might, instead of the sweat coming down, dripping into your eye, I don't know if you've ever had sweat in your eye, I, especially uh-huh. when you're sweating profusely, well, now maybe that beads away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but going back to the asshole thing. Yeah. Uh, you said you were an asshole at, go lower. Yeah, right here. Yeah, I'm too close. Yeah. Okay, so. See, that's why I didn't want that, you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what were you saying? What were you saying? You were saying something about being an asshole. Yeah, be, being an asshole, you know. Just, um, um you know, I for me, I had a lot of things growing up. I didn't get along with my family. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. yeah so what you we were saying about going out and picking fights yeah. at bars I, and stuff. Yeah, that started with friends and, and so family. You're Forty. That was twenty. So that's twenty years ago. We're thinking about two thousand. Yeah, I would go even early two thousand earlier. So late teens. That stuff starts late teens for me. I feel like that was like a normal thing to do back in the day. Except I feel like I was <laughs> extra, right? It really and, was. And I spin it now, and I spin it now, and I, I you know, I say this all the time. I spin it now, and I think I'm doing a great job. You know, if you're supposed to be make up for what you did, yeah. I think I'm doing a great job <laughs> of that. Um, and I spin it all the way. All, you know, I spin it all the time. It's like, nah, it wasn't that bad. But you know, in reflection, I probably was not the average. I was not the average um, male growing up, right? You, that, there's there are growing pains that you're supposed to have as you you grow up, right? I think it's a part of life. Um, I think mine's were a little extra. I definitely put my family through some extra stuff where did you where'd you grow up um all right so i think we left new york uh 9 10 so and then moved down to the tampa bay area oh okay so you yeah grew up so in i new did york. you know middle school junior high high school and then part of college there okay yeah interesting mm-hmm. um and then when did with, you come back with yeah with back and forth continuously Oh, what yeah, was that? So, well, my my family's all from New York, so ah. so I mean, huge, you know, especially on my, my my father's side. So, huge family in New York. So, you know, maybe every summer we're coming back to New York. A little nostalgia. Um, there was a couple of times where you, you know, things are hard. So you go back to what you know. You come back to New York. Ah, that's hard too. Let's go back to pretty Florida. So yeah. that happened a couple of times. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, you're saying you grew, did you grow up like, I don't want to say affluent, but. No, no, I, I grew up poor. You grew up poor. <laughs> I grew up poor. So that's why the 50, yeah. 70K gave you that extra stride. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You, yeah, my mom, my mom didn't work until my brothers were older. Yeah. So I am the oldest of, I think there's four of us. Yeah, four of us. Uh-huh. Right. So my mom didn't work. She, You're the oldest, you said? I'm the oldest. Yeah. Okay. I'm the oldest. Um, my mom didn't work, you know, she, um, not until my brothers were older. And so, you know, my dad was working 17, 18 hours a day, you know, on whatever that salary was at that time. My father, I love him to death. He's a smart man in his own ways, but he doesn't have a high school diploma. Mm -hmm. So today in today's side, I think in today's society, that's really, really hard. I think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that was a norm and a lot easier to get away with. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. But I, and so that's why I think like that chip on your shoulder at the age of young 20s, making 50, 70K 20 years ago also. Um, I think you had a pretty good reason to feel confident, you know, coming from that background. It's not easy. And this is where I was going back to like the, it's not cliche, this, this uprising story because a lot of people don't make it out of, uh, I don't want to call it just poverty, but I guess just like a different way of living. Yeah, you know, you made it out of it. You made you were look. You saw yourself. You in the mirror. You didn't like the type of person you were, and it sounds like you made changes. Um, and that's the type of person you always were. You're always making changes. Um, I don't know if I was always making changes. I okay. think if I think there was a pretty specific moment where I woke up. I started waking up, starting shaking myself. It's like, oh shit. What age was that? When my first daughter was born. Oh, okay. So she was born in 2001. Okay. And that was when I was like, okay. What am I, what do I want to do here? Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, even though I didn't get along with them in my own way because of the chips on my shoulder, yeah. um, they raised they raised me to have some pretty specific morals, right? Loyalty, responsibility, you step up for those things. So, you know, being a new dad, that was a big that was a big thing. It was like, okay, what kind of dad do I want to be? And at that time I was still trying to do it all. And so you were thinking about your future at that point. I don't even know if I was thinking about my future. I was thinking about more about what well, her future is yeah. going to be. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I didn't expect to make it past 25. Mm-hmm. You know, with some of the dumb shit that I was doing. And is that when you were getting into boxing? Um, no, it was earlier. So, um, you know, recreational boxing earlier, starting in the teens. My f- my father's a martial artist, so that's a whole nother thing inside the household. <laughs> um, but so. Yeah, early in the teens, already kind of doing that, as, you know, on and off. Yeah. Both in the neighborhood, in the street, you know, in school. Maybe I shouldn't be, you know, fighting in school. Uh, but also, like, you know, with the trainer and things of that. Yeah. And did, did you have a few boxing matches? Um, yeah, I, I'd say I had, I had a few boxing matches. Probably more in the street than in the ring. Okay. <laughs> no, why was that? Do you think it was because of your surroundings? Um, I think... Though, interestingly enough, that's a lot of the reason. I, I got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I got into wrestling because I felt like I needed to defend myself in case um, a fight broke out because I was, uh, honestly, I was dating somebody at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that the guys around in the town and at our mm-hmm. high school, they would hit on her. And uh, they had. I just felt like I had no respect. And so you kind of had to develop your own respect. Um, and I didn't want to fight anybody because I was afraid of my mom finding out that I was getting into fights because God forbid she finds out I'm getting into fights. <laughs> That's one fight I'd never win. Right. Um, <laughs> um, 
But then I got into wrestling. Now, is that something similar to yourself? No, I think uh, bullying was a big issue with me. Uh, yeah. Also, I was an asshole. So I picked a lot of fights that I couldn't back up. Okay. So my mouth was my mouth was a lot better than my hands were until my hands caught up to my mouth. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes so, perfect sense. So I mean, I'm on a good day, good sleep. I'm five foot eight, right? <laughs> um, I'm 165 pounds now. Growing up, I was 135 pounds. Yeah. So you know, there's not much there for a lot of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that got me into trouble a lot. Um, and you know, one day I just got. One day I just got into it. I was like, yo, dad, show me how to fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that started with him. And that wind up going towards a gym with someone eventually. Yeah. Do you think it was like, I feel like people back in the day were a lot more sensitive. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just you You could really piss people off very easily. And because there wasn't like. Oh, man, I would say it's the opposite. You think uh, so? Yeah. I would say back in the day you could. Well, I was going to say you could get beat up too. Right. Let so me add that part I was, too. I would say back in the day. Right, I kind of, you know, I hate, yeah. see, saying that, I don't in, feel. Old. I say it because I, I don't I'm joking. Old. I don't mean back in the day. I'm but not when trying I, to call when you I old, say by that, right? I don't feel old. Yeah. So, but back in the day, you I, could, you could have a problem yeah. with someone and be like, no problem. The McDon- well, I'm going to meet you after school at the McDonald's. And that's why I think they're more sensitive is because yeah, you, they'll resort to violence, and it's like, dude, yeah. you're so sensitive if you want to like I, fight you somebody. You didn't right away. interpret it as violence. It was never interpreted as violence. I say it today. It's I. Th- it was part of growing pains. It was part of stuff stuff that I think is supposed to happen. Like fighting is just naturally I supposed to happen. I think it's supposed to happen. Like you should just duke it out. I think it's supposed to happen. If you yeah. don't agree with somebody, just duke it out. Yeah, and I think just... there's levels to it. Uh-huh. I think there's levels to it, and I, I'm telling you, and you know, you're you know, you're into MMA now. Yeah. And I don't know if you feel this way. I say this all the time. I have had fights with people, right? Wars. You know, five minute, ten minute wars, battles extreme. There's no one coming. We're out in the street, and walk away from those moments. Like, yo, you good? You good? I'm good. Yo, I'm glad that we settled that shit. You wanna, you wanna go drink? You wanna go smoke now? Like, and now you made a friend, right? So yeah. we started off with something that felt like the end of all life at that time. Yeah, you know. And I'm talking about wars. I've got my face is epic, right? I've got scars all over me. But at the end of that, there's an intimacy there. Like I knew that person. I feel like, like in a way, their own girlfriends, their own mothers will never know them. Yeah, yeah. I think the uh, challenge then becomes that people don't really have uh, a code. I think, yeah, like that. I I remember I got into like my first fights. And I, I hit the kid and he fell down and I was like, all right, get back up. And people were looking at me like, why'd you let him get back up? And I was like, because yeah. I don't know, it's my code. Like if we're going to engage each other in a little battle of fisticuffs, yeah. um, I'm not going to wail on you while you're down. I'm going to wait till you get up and then I'm going to knock you down again. And if I get down, then you knock me down. I think there's some context. If you know, if it's a one-on-one fight, maybe right. maybe that holds value. But you know, some if, people don't if, think that if way. If it's multiple versus you and your, you know, it's a four-on-one, yeah. three-on-one. I think you you elevate to another level. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is, and that's why I got into like I got into wrestling. I felt like at that point, people just started respecting me because like uh, there was this one incident where this one kid got jumped at our school. Mm-hmm. And he was a wrestler, and it kind of looked like he was winning the fight. It was yeah. like three against one, and yeah. it, again, it looked like he was. It didn't look like he was doing bad. He wasn't really getting knocked down very right. much. Right. You know how to get up, take him down. As soon as he felt somebody getting on him, he, he focused his attention on that guy. Right. Um, and he was fast, explosive. 
So then I was like, huh, that's that's probably something I got to start doing just right. in case something happens. But um, I think uh, I think people, me and my brothers kind of talk about this a little bit before, like the prevalence of gangs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're speaking out of water here because we've never been in one, but it just almost sort of feels like you're looking for that sense of community. And in an environment where violence is very prevalent and you need to protect yourself and you need to protect your own community it makes sense um but then you kind of take it like a step like an extra step and then another I, I level think, you know i think what i think in mean? certain i think in certain parts and i think in certain parts of cities certain yeah. parts of america that might value so for me growing up n- not really I appreciate my family now in a way that I didn't when I grew up. Uh, for me, getting into because you know uh, I, I I was former gang member, right? Okay. Right. I, and that's still my family. For those you know, if this is gonna go <laughs> somewhere viral, or you know, or you know, I'm still there's so many people that I talk to, their family. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But protecting my hood, you know, protecting my neighborhood. That wasn't necessarily the entry point for me. Okay. For me, it was absolute loneliness. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was alone, right? Because I wasn't getting along with my family. And I have mm-hmm. a big family. Mm-hmm. So that says a lot. I have a really fucking big family. You know, there's seven of us in my immediate family, cousins. My my father's the youngest of 12 siblings. So there's a lot of cousins everywhere. But it was loneliness. Um, and, you know, for for that point in my life at that time... They provided, whether it was superficial or not, they provided an avenue of happiness. They did. It's like a fraternity. It's a fraternity. And I didn't know, and, and, you know, and, and that was, I would say, a sober happiness mm-hmm. because you know, I wasn't into too much drugs growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my, my drug of choice was the confrontations, the fights, and things of that nature. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Let's, man, I, we got, let's go pick a fight, man. I got to get high. <sighs> Dude, you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me so nervous. That's why I, I say like that, that's why I say to sit back in a chair and you know, I call myself an asshole at that time. Yeah. You know? But I came in this five of us, let's go pick a fight. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. guys are wild. I, I'm I'll say it. I'm a, I'm a lover, man. I don't like to fight. Yeah. But it's funny, I do appreciate the exhilaration of uh trying to best another individual, you know, yeah. in, a, in like a mental way, not necessarily yeah. you know, just uh Let's go pick a fight and yeah. beat somebody up. Um, but I also think that there's like a little portion of. Uh, I was also a violent kid, though. I did. I was. I was also like bullying kids too when I was younger, and I think it was mainly because my mom would beat me, so it's like it just kind of passed on. It's like down the food chain, I'd find somebody else that I could beat on and well on. Right. Um, and so I was trying to more so of like find an outlet for the anger and the rage. Do you think that was something similar that you were like looking for? Is just I think uh, I still have that rage. Yeah, I've just found other outlets for it. What are those outlets? Oh, so I mean, at, at at any given day, you know, four or five days out of the week, I could I could go out and run a half marathon. So running became a big outlet, um, especially as I moved. And you know, you can become an adult. You start working more. I started chasing money more. Uh, so you know, getting into the gym, uh, the boxing gyms specifically, and trying to keep keep up to date with that type of skill set, you know, it just th- there's a cost there, right? Um, and at some point, I was like, all right, am I gonna make a million dollars with boxing? No. All right, let's go be a real adult. Let's. This is more of the hobby now, and get, get you know, how do I get proficient? 
in what I, at that time being a manager, right? Because I started off as a, I've been a manager for a long time, 18 years old, 19 years old already, assistant manager, some some level of management in whatever job I've been in, right? Chasing the money. Um, But I always, always enjoyed running because there's a high, there's a high in that running. You know, the runner's high. Um, I just didn't have any structure to what that was supposed to look like until, I mean, I say most recently, maybe the last 10 years, you know, so running is that avenue. And then, oh, here's the coffee. Yes, oh, thank Matilda, you so much. she's out there. Babe, I love you. Thank you. Sure she, she left. She okay. Oh, she only got two. I asked her for she three. Yeah, she's bringing it down right oh, now. excellent, excellent. She's the best. That's, oh, cheers. Yes, sir. Oh, my girlfriend made this. She's amazing. Oh, yes. But you were saying so. Um, yeah, yeah, so running. You're you getting into running. Yeah. Um, how did you get into running? Running is part of boxing. Okay, so you e- just were doing e- like except a Except coach says, you know, after you've done mitt work and skill work, coach says, go run seven. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's really no structure there. Um, but I got into running now, I guess, in this in the way that I run now. Can you elaborate um, on that? The sure, way that you run sure. Now? So I joined the workforce, you know, not, not doing any boxing, not doing anything uh, at all. Um, I met my wife at that time. I was your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, who she was uh, fundraising with the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Um, you fundraise and then you go run a marathon. And so I was like, holy shit, this is so cool. I met a cool girl. She's athletic. Oh, she runs. I remember when I was running. Awesome. Except now, after having no fitness, nothing, not really doing anything, maybe push ups and pull ups here and there, but nothing structured, um, going out and try to run this, my first marathon. I tore my medial meniscus on my right leg. So, I mean, again, grow, did, grow, growing, up, oh. growing up, super light kid, right? Yeah. Super, super athletic or at least boxing, kinesthetic type of athletic, right? At 135, 145 pounds max. Um, but then trying to not have any fitness and then go trying to run a marathon weighing about 185, 190 pounds. So that was my first experience at... Uh, impact forces, tissue thresholds, tissue uh, capacity. Um, I just didn't know what those term those terms were at that time. But I learned real fast that like, hey, you know, when you're out of shape, you get hurt. When you're not strong, you get hurt. And so, uh, started running for that, got hurt, and then that was it. I didn't want to be hurt anymore because I wanted to run now. Because for that brief moment that I was running, it felt good didn't feel like boxing i don't know if anything will ever feel like that that competitive nature that you know that gladiatorial type of feeling but it still felt good it's that dog in you yeah it felt good so hurt i went to physical therapy two times um the first time you know you check off the boxes you do eight sessions with them oh you're good you know you do all the balancing tricks but i couldn't go run my knee was still swollen up so i went back to physical therapy again same thing this one was a little longer um, she did some. She started doing some isolation strength machine workouts with me, and I was like, "Oh, this is actually the first time I've ever worked out in a machine." Oh. I'm like, "This is my this is you know my mid to late twenties." So I was like, "Oh wow, that's this machine. Oh, this machines I can get strong with machines, you know." Um, but that, and then that was it. So it didn't work. <laughs> I still couldn't run. So for over the course of a year, trying to run, not being able to run, um, and just my personality, the competitive person, I was like, I know I can run. I'm going to figure this out. 
Um, I briefly hired a personal trainer at that time, a running coach personal trainer. I think I must have did four sessions with that guy. Um, he really wasn't, in retrospect, as I look now, he, re he wasn't a running coach at all. He was just a strength personal, a personal trainer via strength coach. But, you know, in those four sessions, he, he gave me, he pointed me in the right direction. It's like, you know, you just might not be strong. And I was like, what do you mean I'm not strong? That's, I'm strong. Right? That's the ego. I'm strong. But, you know, that he was right. So I started getting, I started, started lifting at that time just a little bit, just a little bit. And sure and behold, um, after getting a little bit stronger, I could run a little bit farther. The pain started to dissipate. So if my knee bothered me at one mile, as I got stronger, it would be two miles and then three miles and four miles. And over the course of another year, I was back running these distances at the speeds that I wanted. So now knowing what you know, what do you think it was? If you had to diagnose yourself. Oh, absolutely. Right. So, was it? so if I, if I go back, right. And yeah. I, I look, so I lacked mobility, right. So working on mobility that naturally happened, um, accidentally going through full range of motion. What kind of mobility like in the knees? Yeah. So we're going to start with hip mobility, right? Yeah. If I look at how wonderful the hip is, and what it and, and and how it should function, right? The hip can do so many things, right? But for the most part, we just most of us, if if we're athletic, that knee just comes up and comes down, right in the what's known as the sagittal plane. We'll we'll say in you know dead man's anatomy, cadaver's anatomy, the sagittal plane. Um, but that's it. I didn't do anything lateral. There was no more side to side shuffles, which is crazy because that's kind of where you live when you're you know street fighting, when you're in the ring, and the lateral is home to you. Um, but I had lost a lot of range of motion and control there. So we're going to say that, you know, mobility, motor control is active control through various ranges of motion. And I would even go one, la one layer deeper and say at, at various speeds. So can I control a specific, well, talking about my hip, can I control my hip through its full range of motion slow? Can I control my hip through its full range of motion fast and everything in between? So I, that was absolutely missing um and then just overall strength or what i now know to be mass specific force right the your kind of your power to it's a very simplistic way but your power to weight ratio how much force can you put into the ground or or, or put against an opposing force relative to your body weight and so was it like you, you like can you elaborate on how you were lacking strength as it pertains to running? Because I can't imagine now, silly me, I know that there's like a triple extension that is involved with running, ankle extension, knee extension, hip mm -hmm. extension. Where, uh, where is like the lack of strength affect your knee? I specifically just being not being able to lift any weight. Um, not being know, able to like lift your own leg up, you know, or like to a certain range of motion. Okay, yeah, yeah. and then so I think about if I looked at my running gait at that time, I was probably dragging my feet. I was probably dragging my feet because I just didn't have the strength, the hip flexor strength, and, and you know, and the core strength to lift my knee high enough to go through turnover. Right, I you don't think I didn't. Okay, so think, I didn't think about oh, any of that oh. stuff at that time. Um, but and as well as just being weak, uh, mm. you know, calisthenics was was king that was all you did you did push-ups i did some jump squats yeah something called the tower <laughs> for boxing when that's your biggest conditioning tool some plyometrics some med ball work some ballistics and that's it that was that was 
strength training in a nutshell for me um, at uh, 135, 145 pounds. But not through different planes. Right. And so, uh, you know, and, and you were running, what, like a half marathon that first time? No, no. This, so I literally went from being not fit, uh-huh. not fit at all, 185, 190 pounds, totally like this is a 40 to 50 pound shift from weight, you know, that I grew up with, um, running my first marathon. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Wait, a full marathon? This was a full marathon. Wait, full wait. Shot. So, full shot. So yes. you added 40 pounds yeah. of like, I don't even know what kind of mass. It's not just muscle. It's well, not muscle. We're going to say it's all fat. It's, we're it's gonna all say fat. it's all fat. Because there was no that, resistance there training. There was no resistance training at that no time. No lifting. There was infrequent push-ups, infrequent pull-ups. <laughs> That's it. And then you go, all right, yeah, I'm going to run. 26 miles absolutely <laughs> you fuck. yeah yeah absolutely and so you're yeah, my 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 girlfriend's doing it this is literally the mindset this is the mindset my girlfriend's doing it yeah oh i could do this <laughs> and so i'll tell you the story right it's wild so i had a running mate at that time yeah. uh well, i had a, me and me and my, me and my she's my wife now but at that time she was my girlfriend um we had a mutual friend i kind of borrowed her friend he became more my friend <laughs> Um, uh, um, but he was her friend and mutual friend and he was my running mate. He kind of gave me, he started showing me the ropes, but he's not a running coach himself. He's a, he's just another store manager that's also doing this also fundraising because it's, man, it's a, it's a cool thing to do to, to fundraise. Oh, and you run a marathon after you fundraise, right? They basically, it's all inclusive. And he was my running mate in, in mile 18, this is San Diego. So I think this is San Diego 2012 or 2011. And we're, we're running and, and we're feeling good. And, and over the course of some of this training, I did lose some weight. I didn't lose all this weight, but I did lose some weight. And we're feeling good. 13 miles in. He's good. I'm good. This is awesome. And then at that point of the marathon, you start running the highway. This And it's actually now that I've run so many marathons, um, the San Diego Marathon, I don't know if the course has changed, but at that time, it was a rough course. You're running on the highway. Most of the highway is angled. So you, if you're running in the lanes where cars normally, if you can think of this picture, where the cars normally would be, you would be running with one foot short, one foot long that entire time. And you did that for a couple of miles. So most of the group decided to run all the way at the bottom at the base where then it was, it was more uh, even for the feet. But me and my running partner, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, James, we have to go. We're going to run up top. We're going to run up top. We've got to pass all these people. I was getting annoyed. I was, I was like, I'm not going to wait for these people to go faster. So I, we run basically maybe three miles, maybe mile 15 to mile 18. Here comes the on-ramp, and then it's just flat, and then it's an out and back. I come off the on-ramp. I'm like, yes. I literally go to take one step to run a little bit faster, and I just literally fear, feel this tear. It literally felt like a sheet of paper. Like that's. And then every step after that was ow, ow, ow. Like I, I remember it as like it was yesterday. Um, Yeah, that was mile 18 San Diego Marathon. <laughs> you know, um, so only probably eight, eight more miles to go. Only, yeah, only eight more and change miles to go. <laughs> you know, I probably should have quit at that time. Um, Didn't quit. I basically hopped on one foot, skipped. I did whatever I had to do. I walk, run. I, I, I think I wound up doing that in like five hours and 15 minutes or something like that. But I finished. My did knee was all types of, of different sizes at the end of that marathon. Um, 
but that was that was the, that that was how I got injured. Did you that, do any type of training leading up to the marathon? It wasn't like you yeah, just they showed give up the day. They give you like like any like any typical run program now. You know, they give you a sheet of paper. They give you the calendar, and here are the miles that you should run. Okay, so there was some form of training leading up to the marathon. Yeah. How many weeks? It had to be less than sixteen. Oh, less than sixteen. Now, weeks. now knowing what you know now, would you say that's yeah, enough? Yeah, at, at training lots of people the way I train people now for marathons. You know, if you're going from first, I don't recommend going from couch potato to marathon. Let's go from couch to five k. Um, but if someone never had run a marathon, I would really advise them to have a minimum of twenty weeks worth of training. If they've never run a marathon, you know, uh, and it's mileage dependent. Right. You tell me how many miles a week you're running and then I'll be like, oh, you, you should be able to do this time. Um, but 20 weeks is, is good. 20 weeks. 20 weeks. And so let me be more specific. 20 weeks to run a marathon in the time that you want to run it and go to work the next day. Ah, I see. So that you're not, not be broken so that you don't tear your meniscus. Right. That's wild. Number one. Number two, how many weeks does it take for you now to train for a marathon if you were to run a marathon yeah um totally different now so okay. i'm pretty much i have base shape right. so base shape to, for me right now is about 30 miles a week um so you run a marathon a week not in one shot no but but just weekly mileage but so still. yeah and so and depending on how fast i want to run that marathon well then i increase mileage as well as the speed work within that mileage mm -hmm. so that's why the mileage is so important and so now if you wanted to now, if you wanted to train for a marathon, you do it for time. You're not training just to complete it. You're training to do it faster. Me specifically? Yeah, you specifically. Yes. Okay. yes, yes, yes. Or some aspect of the marathon, right? So I have so many marathons under my belt. It's like, okay, I'm going to go rerun this, rerun this marathon. Great. Last time I did this marathon, I did it at this time. Let's beat that time. Mm -hmm. yeah. And is that what you got so addicted to when you started running? It was just the idea of finishing faster than you finished before? Right. Well, it yeah, it kind of, it, again, it, it didn't feel the same. Um, and I don't, I don't view it the same as boxing. But, you know, there's a high there. And so you're chasing that high. Let me go mm -hmm. faster. Let me go faster. Let me go faster. And then you, along the way, you discover that, wow, I can go fast and not be destroyed. Wow, that's a, that's a whole nother level. Hmm. I can be a fast runner and not be destroyed. N knees feel okay. Feet feel okay. Feel strong. Go to work the next day and be like, yo, I ran a marathon yesterday. Right, that's all. I think that's a whole nother level, and that's what I would when I talk to people about running marathons, um, which is not my favorite distance anymore. At one point, it was. Um, that's 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 training, to me. That's training. You should be able to go to work the next day and feel like you had an amazing workout, but not be destroyed. You ever thought about doing like ultra marathons? Yeah. Um, so thirty-one miles is the longest I've done. Um, that's unofficial. Like one day, I just wanted to go out and see what that looked like. Yeah, thirty-one miles in six hours. So I'm so I'm such a fish out of water. When I said ultra marathons, I thought that those were the ones where you go off terrain and you go up mountains uh, yeah. and stuff. I think technically speaking, ultra just is, is about the mileage. Okay. And I, I think anything above thirty miles, thirty-one miles, is considered an ultra. Even though there's crazy ultras like, you know, the Leadville 100. You know, they have these fifty-mile runs. They have some crazy runs, but I think. Technically, we, we, maybe we can Google that and, and look it up. I think anything over 31 miles is considered an, an ultra, ultra marathon. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's nutty. I, yeah. I love the aspect, though, of running that. It kind of teaches you to be continuous. Yeah. Like, you, just to keep a steady pace and just to continue going. Um, for me, I think one of the biggest hurdles that I have with doing cardio, 
Um, I don't know if it's just getting bored or just getting too into my head. Yeah. And uh, I really love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because it feels like a level of conditioning uh, that forces me to be present because I have to be concerned about the person trying to choke me out. Do you specifically mean the flow state? The flow state? Like you pass like you beyond your exhausted? No, you just you just feel like you get into that that flow state that it's 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 just kind of happening. Um, now again, fish out of water because I haven't done presenters in a year. I think what I really enjoyed about it was uh, kind of like setting things up, mm-hmm. and then uh, like kind of trying to think about my next three moves, similar to chess where you're thinking about the moves ahead, you're mm-hmm. trying to set things up, you're offering an arm, hoping that they're going to take it, they mm-hmm. take it, then you transition to something else. And then I really enjoyed, I guess some of it was like the ego. It yeah. was really humbling when you get choked out and you get <laughs> tips taken apart. Really yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and then it feels really good when you do the choking. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, I deserve this choke because I've got choked. Yeah. And then it only makes you better because now I'm going to tell you why you put yourself in a position where you got choked mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just about the size because we have the same skill level but i'm just bigger than you other times it's about uh the skill set mm-hmm. um and then other times it's just about you making a mistake like a small little mistake mm-hmm. and you go oh ah damn it and yeah. he catches that and that's when they're so good that they catch your mistake and they capitalize on it and I think that happened to me in my tournament. Mm-hmm. I, I got second place. Yeah. I lost the same guy twice, both in gi and no gi. Um, and I think the second time I lost him, that's when it was because I was training in gi, which is like the, the yeah, it's the tire that you wear. Yeah. And I learned a lot of moves in that, but I didn't learn a lot of technique in no gi. And he was well versed in no gi that when I, uh, there's like a certain point where you kind of post with your arm mm-hmm. and you're post with your arm to like shift back up. Like you're trying to like push off of him. So you create some space and kind of like stand up yeah. and I posted, but the issue with that is when you post, you're straightening out your arm and you're kind of exposing your arm. Yeah. If you do it incorrectly, if you don't know fast enough, mm-hmm. all that other stuff. And so I exposed myself and he just really he immediately just went into an arm bar and I was like, Oh, what the f- happened? And then I look back at the video. I was like, Oh God, what an idiot. Like, yeah, I think Bad those are some of the massive differences between, you know, boxing. There's tons of grappling in boxing, right? Mm-hmm. And if anybody goes back in the day and wants to talk to see about a master grappler, you know, you go watch Bernard Hopkins fights and he'll show you grappling, legal grappling and illegal grappling on a whole nother level in boxing and what you can get away with. Yeah. As long as you keep the ref on your far side. Yeah. Um, but, you know. My father, you know, I, I got did more grappling, learned more grappling from my, my father <laughs> in and out of the house. Him telling me, you know, be prepared for the unexpected. <laughs> yeah. um, then, you know, boxing, boxing. And I want to I want to keep range. You know, I have my arms are a little longer okay. <laughs> than um, for my size. So yeah. I have a little advantage there. Makes my deadlift uh, makes my deadlift easy. Makes yeah. my bench a little harder. Um, but, yeah, I want to keep you away. Yeah, I'm gonna keep you away. I don't want you. You want you grab my right arm. You're gonna if you grab my left arm, you, you've got that right quickly coming. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's the tricky part different. about like matching them up. Um, but that's why I have such a, an appreciation of people who go into MMA because then they kind of like put together these moves. Yeah, um, you know the uh, you, you just gotta watch out for everything. You gotta if you go for a takedown, you can't just go for a takedown because then yeah. the person's expecting a takedown. They'll just hit you with a knee and you get knocked out. Yeah. Um, kind of like what happened with Ori Masvidal and uh, was it Ben Askren? I think it was, mm-hmm. and he just went for the flying knee, knocked him out in like what, like 
three, five seconds, seven seconds. Now, for your here's a here's a question. Um, for your, well, do you believe in cardio? I do. I I think cardio is necessary, but yeah. So what I would say, what cardio do you think you you fall into to get better at, at that? At falling, at, you know, at, at at tussling, at the grappling, at being on the floor with, you know, a hundred and eighty pound per, you know, I would imagine what's your weight class? Yeah, I was at the one eighty five. Yeah, so with a hundred and eighty five pound body on top of you, yeah, pressing up against you, not allowing you to breathe the same way you normally would. Yeah, I think that's where the conditioning comes very becomes very important. Do you think it was stamina versus endurance? Um, I definitely, I know that. Uh, so it's stamina versus endurance. Stamina, like your ability to produce the power no, for an extended so, period of time, or endurance, so like the ability I would, to fly. I would say endurance would be how much power can you carry and how long, you know, how long can you carry it? Oh, so like I, muscle endurance. So that, yeah, I would versus say endurance. Like stamina, stamina. How long? How far could you go? Yeah. You know, how, how you know how far could you go? Um. Right. How many rounds could you go? Could you do oh, 10 I see, rounds I see. of that? Yes. Versus, yeah, I could do 10 rounds of that stamina. I see. But I'm, I only got three real rounds of going all out, right? Stamina yes. versus endurance. Yes. I think uh, I think both are very important, you know, because uh, there's a lot of grabbing involved. You know, mm-hmm. so you have to build up the endurance to, and I think that's how I won one of my matches was we got into this position where uh, we were, I think it was like the second to last yeah, 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 yeah. It was the one right before the finals. Um, we were tied up, mm-hmm. and what they do to 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 do a tiebreaker mm-hmm. is they'll put you in a position where, like, uh, I think uh, they put us in the seatbelt position. So you're both sitting down, one's behind the other, mm-hmm. and you've already got the seatbelt position, yep. and you can easily just move into a rear naked choke. Yeah. And then the other one was like the kind of position you where you're like already set up in an arm bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's how I beat one of the guys was I just had more endurance in my arm than he had in his legs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we were just kind of like muscling it out. So that in those cases, it's very necessary. And that's why Gordon Ryan is so amazing is because he's got both of what you're referring to, like mm-hmm. the stamina as well as the endurance, because also I got gassed out in one of the other matches. Mm. Stamina. And that's where the stamina was like messing. I was like, it doesn't matter how much my muscles can endure. I was just like, oh, God, I can't breathe. Yeah. Um, so which one matters more? I want to say both, but if I had to pick one, I say the stamina. I say the stamina is more important. I would I would agree. I think in all in all sports, I don't know if all the other performance yeah. coaches would agree. I, I, you know, this is what I say. You tell me how many how many miles you're running. I'll tell you what your time is because everything else within that, based off your mileage, mm-hmm. will will build off of mm-hmm. right. Um, how many rounds can you go? Like if I can take you in boxing, if I could take you to the tenth. 11th and 12th round but you're not used to going there i got you mm. you know um yeah you'll and, see that y- you know and uh, again knowing what i know now being such a heart rate driven uh training style that i use you know in boxing you do a, a little bit of running and you do a lot of jump rope you know jump roping is pretty high intensity right yeah for me at that time i would imagine that was probably high zone three high zone four yeah um i jump rope now significantly it's totally different because i jump rope you know conservation of energy totally different zone one zone two now but that was i was boxing i was only doing you know that high intensity work i could i could jump rope for oh my god i could jump rope for 30 rounds three three minutes let's go let's go um but you know coach said go run seven i'd probably run three okay right so I go run three. My training now is so 
opposite of that. I'm like, no, 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 I want to, it's all easy training. It's all, I don't want to use the zone two. Everyone says zone two, but it's, you know, it falls within this lower heart rate, low to very low, not even moderate, lower heart rate training, except that now low heart rate training for me after doing this type of training 10 years is fast. Yeah, it's different, right? Like you said, your body tends to adapt to the new levels of intensity. Yeah, my, my low heart rate training my my zone two heart rate training is like the other day we uh we ran uh 10k somewhere in the 840s 845 okay so it's pretty fast that might be some yeah that might be someone else's that might be someone else's zone four zone five that's my zone four zone right right (laughs) right that took again here we are um 10 years later of doing this stamp what i would say is stamina building so can you describe what a zone one through five is? What is that for the people? Sure. Okay. So I'm specifically talking about heart rate zone. Okay. Um, I use uh, uh, Polar's like heart rate coaching system. Um, not because I'm not because I'm like sold on Polar, but what what I am sold on is the ease of use that Polar does um, uh, to set that up for people. So I'm, when I talk about the heart rate zone, I'm basing it off of five heart rate zones, depending on whose book you're reading. There's Maybe you might see six. Um, you might even see seven different zones of training. So I'm talking about five. Um, if I had to break those down, zone one is probably where most people hang around in life. You're walking around. You're just living life. Um, a deconditioned person it, it, it climbing up the stairs. Again, I'm, I'm thinking about someone that's not us. Yeah. Um, they're climbing up the stairs. They might trip into zone two because you know they're not too they're not too healthy, mm-hmm. right? Or they're not too conditioned. They're not too fit. Um, they might be in zone two. Um, uh, zone three, maybe that person is already doing some sort of jog, a faster pace jog, right? That might be moderate. Uh, zone four, this might be them running, their mouth breathing now. If they weren't already mouth breathing, uh, zone five, this is them giving something all out, maybe for a very very short time. Mm-hmm. To contrast that to someone who's super conditioned, you know, it doesn't matter the sport. If we're talking about endurance athletes, zone one, zone two might be some somewhere that an endurance athlete could live for six hours. Mm-hmm. Zone three might be somewhere with an endurance athlete could live, you know, three to five hours. Zone four, maybe again, zone four being a super fast pace for this endurance athlete, maybe about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes. Zone five, going all out, maybe 12 minutes if they're like Olympic level. Mm-hmm. So there's a contrast of, I de- see. you know, maybe maybe a deconditioned person versus someone who's super, super conditioned. So someone who's super, super conditioned ba- can last longer in the zone, zone five. Yes. Uh, interesting. And mm-hmm. so another thing for that super duper conditioned person is that zone five for them is also like much faster than oh. someone who's deconditioned absolutely so it's not even like they're going yeah we're not even talking about going at the same paces right right it's like if you and i were to sprint i'd totally beat you no <laughs> yeah no. I, know, I know you're gonna you're probably gonna beat me in the first 10 meters i'm not gonna beat you even yeah, yeah not no. even not even the first you meter. just you, you just will right because your mass specific force yeah. is higher than mine i already seen your deadlift yeah right? but i also think that my speed my no. mechanics are just so your so booty. what let's say maybe we take five to seven steps in the first 10 meters you got me maybe in the first 10 meters i think you're being too generous i don't have thank you uh, but but (laughs) i I don't have that i don't have that i don't train the first three steps if we're talking about sprinting i don't train the first three steps um neither do i (laughs) my first and normally i I have like rolling starts so 
um, where I'll start to pull away from you is the rest of that. So, yeah, yeah I mean, if we're running 100 meters, even though that's not a long distance for you that doesn't run, that's a long distance for you. For me, you know, I'm going I'm to warm up in the back half there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's a really cool part. So how would somebody get into, like, running if they wanted to increase their zone? So actually, well, let me just backtrack this a little bit because I want it to be a little bit more relatable to our audience. So, like... Um, for my three followers listening out there. <laughs> um, well, let's start, start with fitness level. Start with the fitness level. Yeah. So let's just start with fitness level. So if you really think about it, there's really maybe four ways to train. We're training easy. We won't get into specifics yet, but you're either training easy, which is probably talkative. Whatever training you're doing, you're talking to someone. We should do a lot of that. That's stamina building, right? Then we're probably training to a comfortably hard comfortably hard we we might not be able to have a good conversation while we're training we're probably mouth breathing heavy then you have you know maybe all out maybe we're starting to build on aerobic power a little bit right uh we, we maybe we got one or two of those in us if we're a general population person maybe the audience right and then you have you know the we'll say all those three are some sort of aerobic so they all fall into the aerobic bucket right easy Stamina building, more harder, comfortably hard endurance, um, all out aerobic power. We'll put all that in the aerobic bucket. And then there's the, hey, 10 second all out something. Maybe that we'll put that in the anaerobic bucket. And within those four categories, there's different work to rest ratios that you can do. But this, you're basically trained, those four things will give you some of the, um, physiological adaptations that carry over to performance mm -hmm. and so when you're saying anaerobic and aerobic um just oh, okay for, the people. For, for our what, so, yeah, so if, if you're looking at some of the older textbook aerobic means hey we're doing work and we, we're using oxygen right to make this work happen mm -hmm. we can go into more detail if you want if i say anaerobic we're, we're still in the presence of oxygen right because i'm not going to hold my breath <laughs> to perform a task but we're saying that this work or the energy derived from this type of work and this type of intensity doesn't need oxygen in the same way. So like it'll more, need more specifically to perform a task, depending on the intensity of the task, which is a mechanical moment that is fueled by a chemical reaction inside the body. Mm -hmm. So chemical moments inside the body make mechanical moments or mechanical tasks happen. Right. Like, for example, me picking up this cup of coffee. Yeah. It's a mechanical moment. That was a mechanical moment, right? And that, that coffee, cup of coffee is probably not heavy for you at all. Right. You know, if you, you, you used a little bit of muscles in there, or be more specific, your type 1 fibers, because you're not a strong guy, and your type 1 fibers, you know, they like using fats as an energy source. Mm -hmm. So your chemical moment there made a mechanical moment happen. And then, for example, like let's say this room is about to explode, and I s somehow know that, so I'm bolting to the exit. Yo, yeah, yeah. That would be sure, yeah. Especially your first, let's say you're you're super conditioned. Maybe your first ten to fifteen seconds of that is going to be, you know, we'll put that in the anaerobic bucket. So it's going to metabolize. I right? mean, use. We we might use, uh, we'll say, uh, carbs. The okay. carbs in our body. I, most people don't know what carbs are. Like the sugars in your body. Right. You're going to use those. Um, you're you're still using fats. They just need a little. They need some time to wind up. Right, and then anything after that's going to be a little bit more aerobic. And the longer you're running in duration, the more and more aerobic you you you'll start to slow down. You'll start to lose. You'll start to use. You know, especially if you're not too conditioned, 
you'll you have to slow down. You can't maintain that speed. You'll be a, a more aerobic in nature. And so, like as this pertains to, let's say you're not really training to do an MMA fight. You know, you're not really doing this. Everyone should train to do some sort of fighting. Let's <laughs> let's let's leave that here. As everyone should do some sort of fighting, at a minimal, so that you could defend yourself. For sure. For sure. <laughs> And so let's say they're not. Switched. Make sure we send some messages here. Everyone should be able to defend themselves. Pick a pick a combat sport of your choice. Agreed. Um, or you could just purchase a gun. Just kidding. Don't oh, do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Oh, well, there's the twenty one. There's the one twenty one foot rule. What's the twenty one foot rule? Well, you know, if someone has a gun before they pull it out, and you have twenty one feet, you can cover that distance. It's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, okay, let's go back to the the <laughs> the, the, the uh, increasing your level of fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're not training for an event. So you don't have like specific stamina training. What kind of differences would you know in your day to day when your fitness starts to improve? All right. So I do I do better with these conversations if, if there's more context. Like let's so, say, for example, I'm an average Joe. Like, oh, let's go back to so average Joe. Yeah. One hundred and ninety pound. Do you just want to be you want to be healthy? Right. I just want to. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. You want to so be healthy. What, you need stamina. So what so you, changes would they start to notice yeah. as they're getting healthier? Yeah, let's let's go ahead and get you to just build, do some stamina building. Again, I'm, I try to put these into sim simpler buckets for people. Let you know if we talk about heart rate zone training, this is zone one, zone two training. Um, what might that look like? This could be anything from faster walks outside to a bike ride outside, maybe to an incline walk on the treadmill. Again, keeping your heart rate zones in these lower zones, zone, zone one, zone two, um, starting at a minimum of 30 minutes, maybe hopefully working up to 90 minutes. Average Joe just wants to get better, be healthy, build some stamina. Um, they're going to start to feel better. They're going to start to be able to climb stairs without you know, having to catch their breath. Maybe maybe they can carry their groceries. I don't know if people still carry their groceries, right? You just say one button, Fresh Direct delivers. Um, um, no plug there, but um, you know maybe carrying their groceries is a little easier. Maybe, maybe they're a family person, man or woman, and they'll, they'll carrying their kids is a little bit easier. Keeping up with the kids is going to be a little bit easier. Um, but most importantly, you're now you're now starting to shape lifespan, right? So these lower zones, zone one, zone two, they 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 tend to help people get better with using fat, and if we tend to get better at using fat. It seems to help us live a longer life for a lot of different reasons, but m it seems like um, it really helps these little organelles inside your body, the mitochondria, and they seem to really like it. So if we get better with using fat, some, you know, some uh, journals or some magazines might call it being fat adapted, yeah, we can start to increase lifespan really simply like that, starting off with that average gel. How so? Yeah, so well, it, there's some there's some literature out there that suggests that hey, these lower zones things happen in these lower zones, right? So if I'm doing this easy zone training, um, I can go longer, hence stamina, right? And um, I'm gonna uh, we're going back to like the mitochondria. They get more healthy, they get better at using fats, and that's a byproduct of duration, not intensity. So they'll will increase the number of mitochondria that we have will increase the size of those mitochondria. <clears throat> and it seems like as they're healthier, we're healthier. So we benefit. So we train. <laughs> we just want to be healthy, but we're actually training 
these organelles called mitochondria. And in turn, we benefit from easy zone one, zone two training. Because they've adapted to burn to utilizing. They fat. get better at using. They get better at using fat. Uh-huh. Some of the other benefits of, of of being quote unquote fat adapted or or using fats more f- proficiently, um, insulin sensitivity goes up, which I mean, and you know for most people that's an issue and that that could lead to all types of cardiovascular dysfunctions later on, type two diabetes, all the things in that bucket. So just doing the, this work, specific work in zone one, zone two, we start to, th- those are some of the things we actually start to see differences in, right? Maybe we don't see that in the first three months, um, but after a year, two years, I've been doing this low intensity training now for 10. Um, and for me, I've reaped the performance benefits. I know we're talking about average Joe, but I'm, again, I'm able to run at these faster paces while still in these zones. So it's not even just about, um, <clears throat> The immediate, I guess that's also something that we are to note so that we can clear the air is like, hey, you're not going to like feel healthier right away. It's about your time frame and your time span about you're going to feel healthier, generally speaking, over the span of X amount of years if you continue this level of fitness or exercise. I I try to put it in a three-month window. Um, So I say in your first month, you're going to create this habit. Right, because it takes that long just to create this habit of trying to, first and foremost, learning how to learning how to stay in these lower zones. Because most people just get into working out and they're already in zone four, so it takes about a month just to realize the how to stay in these zones. In your second month, you start to now feel better. In your third month, we start to see performance adaptations. You can start doing things faster in these zones, assuming that someone's doing this eight to twelve times a month. What would you use as a benchmark to determine whether you're doing things faster? Or if not? someone has access to a gym, um, I, I, it's so simple. It's not easy, but it's so simple. I was like, let's get you on the treadmill. Let's start you at incline five. Let's find the speed that gets your heart rate into these zones, zone one, zone two. And how can you do that for 30 minutes without tripping into zone three? That would be the benchmark. And then eventually that speed would go up. Yeah, we'll eventually. But the zone will still remain the same. Not the, necessarily the speed. They're, usually they'll come back and be like, "Hey, my, I'm not. I'm, you know, let's just say they're in zone two. Hey, I'm not in zone two anymore. Anymore after this, uh, same incline, same speed. I'm in zone one. What should I do? Great. I'll give you a choice. Do you want to work on more leg strength, or do you want to work on, you know? being able to just turn over or, or go faster. Uh, link strength sounds great. Most people kind of bias. Great. We'll take your incline from 10 to 15. I see. I Sa- see. And with the same benchmark. Can you be on an incline of 15 at whatever speed does not trip you into the zone three, into the moderate zone? Oh. Yeah. Oh. It's very yeah. interesting. That's- and, and yeah, you're minimal of 30 minutes. Yeah. Minimal of 30 minutes. There's some research out there. Um, actually, it's pretty good research out there that kind of suggests like, you know, you have different moments of fat usage in the body, right? So this first 30 minutes, I might be just using the intramuscular triglycerides, maybe the fat stores closest to the muscles that are using them. And then somewhere after 70, 80, 90 minutes, I may now switch over to some of the longer chain fatty acids that are in other parts of the body. Maybe, maybe you know, from, you know, men, it seems the kidney area seems to be an area where we store the belly and the abdomen, you know, um, maybe on our female clients, it's more along the thighs. So, so the, pen, the duration may affect what types of fats you use and when. 
Interesting. Yeah. 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 So like for somebody who's interested in losing some of their belly fat, some of the fat in their back, like a male and like you said, thighs for female clients, duration of cardio is king, not targeting the muscle groups, it sounds like. Like, well, like I'll, I'll be specific, weights. right? So I, I'll be specific because you read all this stuff, and I, I don't want anyone to think like we could start shaping that. Mm-hmm. We just know that the fats being used um, throughout these dur- different durations are coming from different parts of the body. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you need to be proficient in using fat to have fat loss. I th- yeah, I think right. I think hands down for almost everyone, if we're talking about you know fat loss. Um, hands down, it's caloric deficit, at least right. in the beginning. I think it's caloric deficit. Mm-hmm. So we could just starve you. <laughs> we could just starve you and you'll lose fat. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll reap some minimal benefits of, of becoming more fat adapted. You'll reap some mitochondrial health benefits from, um, you know, from you know uh, being in starvation mode, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to reap, reap any performance benefits, though. Right. So I'm drawing a picture here for average joe his name is joey yeah uh he wants to lose weight he decides to go into the caloric deficit he loses the weight but uh one of the things that tripped me up is this realization the other day that weight loss is just the um what would what, what would you call it the i don't forget the technical term but just the 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 fat cell is just shrinking yeah the adipocyte yes exactly yeah. it's just shrinking and so uh but that doesn't mean that the new cells that were developed when you were in a constant surplus go away they just shrink meaning once you go back into some form of a surplus they're likely to grow again and so one of the ways to deter that from happening so that you're not always in a caloric deficit would you th- say increasing your ability to utilize fat is the word cardio that's where it'll kick in like you could you- do cardio to Keep the fat off. Yeah, so, well, again, we're, we're talking about our average Joe and, like, how I would coach our average Joe. I've already given them the three-month, hey, here's what it kind of feels like to do these this type of training, this three months. Great. Also, with the caveat, I was like, you're going to lose some weight because your expenditure's up. And because your expenditure's up, you might be in a deficit. Mm-hmm. So we it goes back to this this caloric deficit moment. So we didn't starve you. Per se, we didn't attack nutrition. We attacked the the deficit another mm. way with activity. With activity, yeah. So I, 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 my job is to provide the menu. Right. Hey, how do you want to do it? We, I could starve you to give you the caloric deficit, not increase your activity and starve you, or we can keep your we we could start to shape just better food choice, maybe keep the same calories, and we can create that caloric deficit with activity. Right. Which one do you want? So, but f- when we talk about lifespan. Right when you talk about changing your lifespan, I think going the stamina route, the zone two route, the zone one route, the building duration in that is the way to go because that starts to affect something called your VO2 max. Okay. And your VO2 max is um, how much oxygen you can consume in an activity, well, probably on high, specifically a high intensity activity, and how well your tissues, specifically your muscles, use them. And this VO2 max score seems to be like the number one predictor of better lifespan, better health span. So let's, which one's gonna affect this one? So in the short term, if you wanna lose weight, hey, I've got two options for you. 
I think one of these options, which is getting deeper into this activity, deeper into the zone one, zone two work, I think that starts to shape this VO2 max, which is going to help you for longevity. And so that's the menu that I, I give, right? Because not everyone's going to personal train all the time. And so I want, you, you want to you provide some level of education here. And so that's why cardiovascular exercise is just considered, well, just that, if we break down the word, cardio, cardiovascular meaning like the heart, an exercise, so the exercise of the heart. And the stronger your heart, the longer you live. Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, I would, I would go beyond that, right? I think, I think all these things come back to mitochondria. But yet, you know, we're we're the human machine. We're a chemistry set. We're in the independent systems that are all interconnected, right? So um, we'll talk about like the word fitness. When we think of word fitness, most people just think about being strong, right? But I, 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 you can be strong but not be fit. We see that all the time. We see that all the time. I see we see people, guys and girls that look amazing in the gym, but you know they're running a thirteen minute mile because they're not cardiovascularly fit. So I think being fit is a cardiovascular function and being strong is something totally else. Um, I think the literature shows, and and just by strength training, let's just say you're not fit, but just by strength training, that improves your all-cause mortality by two times, but if you're cardiovascularly fit, depending on how fit you are, that could be a five times improvement in lowering your all-cause mortality. So I don't know about you, but you know I'm just a numbers guy. I think I'm gonna go the five route, even though as people get older and you know we want to be strong too. So I, I, you know, I'm a personal trainer. We're always trying to label ourselves, but I think I'm more of a strength coach, especially with my journey learning about what strength is, with a specific focus in like cardiovascular or conditioning, if that makes sense. Specifically, energy system yeah. development. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think that makes. A lot of sense. Um, I said we said a lot there. We did. We did. We did said a lot there. So. That was. Yeah. But it was like, in other words, like the TLDR that I'm getting of it is that you just become more efficient at using oxygen when it comes down to it, and that you, increases yeah, you, your you life. You do span. more with less. We do more with less, yeah. and that just becomes a lot less exhaustive and not as intense on your heart, not as intense on your body to do regular tasks. Mm-hmm. Like maybe walking up the stairs or, um, like you said, keeping up with your kids. Those type of tasks may tire you out more, which I guess shortens your lifespan because it's more work relative to your level of fitness. But the more you stay in that zone two zone zone two you were saying not zone three yeah i'm gonna push it yeah you know i say zone one zone 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 one zone zone two two. because there's there's similar benefits there yeah the problem is is activity levels you know Mm. you know most people uh you know don't want to stay don't want to do zone zone one work um also the calories there if we're talking about using expenditure as a way to get people into caloric deficit the calories there aren't really there but in zone two there's a higher calorie output Right, because you're going faster. Yeah, the intensity's up. Yeah, higher color, and that re- caloric that, output per. Yeah, and that relationship between higher activity and calories. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Pe- I mean, people are going to hear this and be like, "What are you talking about?" No, no, no. Yes, you know, there's two. I think there's two ways to tackle. You know, we're specifically talking about the average Joe and fat loss. You know, you don't. It takes a long time to work on nutrition, and at the end of the day, especially in the beginning, getting people in a caloric deficit. Um, and building those habits and behaviors. But the other way you can tackle it is expenditure. It's still a caloric deficit. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other, like, 
The other attraction to just burning it as opposed to not eating it is that it doesn't require as much self-control because people tend to love eating. I know I do. And so to say that you got to put yourself into like a starvation mode right. is, 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 is drastic to a lot of yeah. people. And a lot of people use it for like pleasure, not even for like nutritional purposes to meet a nutritional standard. It's because they're just stress eating because they yeah. work hard. If they're a professional in New York, they're probably like working 90 hours a week. Yeah. So they want to treat themselves to a very fancy, nice dinner. And, when, and we, when you say diet, right, when people come to you and you talk about fat loss and you say diet, sometimes it's viewed in a negative way. Right. It's like, oh, I got to go on a diet. I don't want to go on a diet because everything that you just said kind of they already have that. Yeah. You know, you, some of the conversations I have um, from a nutrition standpoint is like, yeah, we're going to have a diet, but you're going to eat more. Mm. And it instantly transforms the conversation. What do you mean I'm going to eat more? I, I need to eat less. No, no, no. You need less calories, but I need you to eat more. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Yeah, well, you need more volume of food at lower calories. Yeah, so so what's your veggie palate look like? And then that, that starts that dialogue about increasing volume of food yeah. but lowering the calories. Yeah. But that, that takes time. It does. It does because I think a lot of it is cultural. I, I really do think a lot of it is cultural in that uh, certain like environments that you grew up in, they might prioritize fried food. Um, highly palatable fried food, oh, not empty, really empty calories. Empty calories, uh, or, or I, I usually or, say empty calories, right? Because yeah, they're higher calories, but I'm not necessarily reaping the reward of having higher calories. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's just the way they grew up. So now you're talking like nature versus nurture. Yeah. And you're talking about like un- decoding and restructuring the way somebody approaches food. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily going for what's like good for you or what you need, but more so just. I'm sorry. They usually go for what they want. They're just like, it's impulsive. Right. It's like, I'm just feeling something very tasty right now. And now switching that over to deciding to eat something because it's good for you. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people have that challenge. I had that challenge. You know you know what I get a lot? I get a lot of people that say, oh, but I eat pretty healthy. And, you know, you, we're looking at that plate and, and it's, if I, if I had to describe the plate in colors, it's a lot of bland, like browns and whites. It's, you know, it's like meats and rice or meats and potato and it, i'm like this is awesome this is great you're you're eating quote unquote healthy um where are the where's the, where are the colors where are the veggies where are you know where are these things and that's usually not even again maybe that comes back to like what you said it's like cultural what what what, what are the foods that you eat and that you were raised on it's like oh okay well i want to shape the plate the same way but we we we, we need to get less calories on this plate yeah 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 and I, again, I try not to use less calories. I try to always say eat more, knowing though that if I can get them to eat more, if we can increase the veggie content, that that usually strips away calories. And it's also very clever because it, it's, yeah. it's a kind of like appeases to like more of a positive mindset. The reverse psychology. The reverse psychology. Yeah. 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 It's like oh, I'm just eating more veggies as opposed to I'm eating less food. Yeah. To burn this fat. And and. While we're working on this three-month flow for the average Joe, so they can build his expenditure, so he can get you know better at using, you just be, get healthier at using fats, um, increasing expenditure here. Then we have three months to kind of play with what this plate is going to look like and transform. I love that, yeah, because yeah. then you you're basically like using the first three months to do something fun. They feel accomplished. Yeah. Then you use the next three months and you say, okay, we're going to introduce new foods, certain foods that you don't necessarily have a craving for already, yeah. but that you're going to use like your frontal lobe. You're going to make executive decisions to include this food, mm-hmm. not because of you 
just impulse, but because you have control over the foods you eat. It's not always just environmental and subconscious. There's an element of decision-making that is involved. And some people just get so much decision fatigue that they just say, fuck it, I'm going to eat whatever. Yeah. And especially they don't after, want to make after, that thought at process. At the end of a work day or a 90 hour work week, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. do not want to make the decision of, oh, I'm going to eat these veggies because they're good for me. They just want to eat whatever the fuck is in the fridge. And, and that's when it becomes like a chore. But if you're seeing the results and you're enthusiastic about it because you started running and now you're feeling better, you're feeling yeah. more fit you're more probable to see it in a more positive view and advance to the next level and do the next thing. And yeah. it's all just connected. And at the end of the three months, that's when I'm starting to have the conversation of what's next level. Mm-hmm. So this has been all low intensity work while working on some nutri- nutritional mm-hmm. behavior. And now we have to do some high intensity work just mm-hmm. because like you said earlier, you need both. You need stamina and you need endurance. Mm-hmm. They do two different things. If you talk about the cardiovascular stuff, they do two different things. So the easy work, Helps the heart as well as the uh, the uh, close blood vessels expand or be more pliable. I might I use the analogy of the balloon. Just imagine how how open the balloon can fit the fill, right? The atria, the ventricles. How much how much how open can they fill? How much blood can get in them? So that's the low intensity stuff. But we also want the high intensity stuff too, because the the heart contracts, and as we get older, those contractions get less, and when those contractions get less. Less blood comes out of the system, uh, comes out of the heart into the circulatory system, and that's known as your e- ejection fraction. And as that go- gets lower as you get older, that's a bad thing. And you say less, like less. The force. amount of blood, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like the, it's not the amount contracting of force, as hard. stroke volume, right? Uh-huh. Right. That means less blood comes out of the heart, and the percentage of blood remaining is known as your ejection fraction that moment. Yeah. That increases as you get older. You don't want that. You want to fight that. Right, we be, as that happens, we're talking about all types of, of of possible heart issues. So, but we can we can work on we can strengthen the heart. We can work on that contract uh, contractility. We can work on stroke volume with the higher intensity work. That might be the zone four, zone five work. Okay. So at the end of this three months of the easy work, right? That that's the stamina that builds the foundation to what we can do in the high intensity work. Because you know I'm not just looking at this from a performance aspect. I'm looking at this from a, I, I want this person to understand what we're doing and do this for the remainder of their life because you need, it's not low intensity is better than high intensity, which is the one that's going to get me to fat loss. It's like, no, I need both of these. They do different things, especially for my heart, how the heart uh, responds to them and as well as the circulatory system. And we'll reap the rewards of higher calorie sessions, at least for the four weeks, right? If I, if I put them on a four-week block of high intensity work. Also... We talk about the executive decisions. This is a moment where you kind of re-motivate the client because they're like, oh, I've been doing the same stuff for three. Oh, we're doing something new in month four? Bam. Hmm. So uh, I think motivation is a huge thing. You're not going to be motivated all the time. Frequency and consistency um, is king. Um, but when we talk about program design and what we're doing and helping people, you, you, there's some there's a little psychology psychology there about, about keeping them motivated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're just like bringing it to, reintroducing like a new toy, I like to call it. Right? New shiny new object. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it reinvigorates. You get more of a buy-in where they uh, believe in the program. And with a bigger buy-in, they're more probable to stick through it, develop the consistency, see it through. And then when you see the 
program through, you see the results and then you believe in yourself again and you want to do it again. Yeah. And over and over. And you see that stuff with like powerlifting, like strength training. That's like the where I came from is the powerlifting world is, you know, you run a 12, 16 week block. Yeah. Let me ask you, how did you get into strength training? Uh, so the way I got into strength training was because, um, and honestly, like I've started thinking about this, about how I've gotten so strong. Uh, because I know that I was, I, so I got into strength training because of like quite literally, like literally into squat bench lifting because of a friend in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was getting into it. And so we did like a local powerlifting meet at a local franchise gym. Mm-hmm. So it was not a sanctioned meet. It was just a, like the, one of the trainers there decided he wanted to host a meet. And even though it was a franchise gym, it was such a tight niche gym it felt like a local gym it didn't yeah. feel like a franchise gym like everybody knew each other that walked in at 5 p.m 6 p.m 7 p.m 8 p.m mm-hmm. we knew each other by front first name and we all kicked it we would go to buffalo wild wings with the staff like it was not like a franchise gym it was just like a it was almost like a local gym yeah but it had a franchise behind it um and so they ran a, like a powerlifting meet there and that's how i got into powerlifting. Mm-hmm. but in terms of like strength training my strength training began with my dad Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was, uh, he had his garage, uh, workout stuff. And I remember lifting like a 60 pound dumbbell and I wasn't really strong enough to do that. Um, but the other real strength training that kicked in was when I was working with him at a warehouse. Um, I was like 11 years old when I asked him for a, an allowance. Mm-hmm. He laughed, he laughed. He was like, why would I pay you? I was like, so that, you know, if I do chores around the house, you pay me to do the chores. Mm-hmm. He's like, why the fuck should I pay you to do the stuff that you should be doing anyways? Good question. Good answer. Good but answer. my friend, he got, he gets an allowance. Yeah. Yeah. And so he came back with the job instead. You're going to come with me on Saturdays. You're going to wake up at 6, 7 a.m. And you're going to come work with me at a warehouse. And um, you're going to earn $10 a day. And you're going to get paid by his boss, uh, who's a really close family friend. Very, very close family friend. I don't even want to call it saying he's a boss. He's more of like an uncle. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I was 11 years old, working every Saturday, getting $10. And to me, that was a lot. I was like, yes, money. Um, And I wasn't really doing much. I was trying to lift up boxes. I remember trying to lift up like a, you know, those six-pack gallons of water. Yeah, yeah. That, I couldn't lift that up. I, that was the one thing that my dad, he'd be like, no, 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 don't touch that. You're going to pull your back out. You're going to get a hernia. You're going to overstrain yourself. And so I would, interestingly enough, progressively overload, progress to like different boxes that I'd be lifting. So mm-hmm. I started off with like the 48 pack of the small little water bottles because that was as big as I could get. Then yeah. I would bump up to the 35 pack of the 16 ounce bottles. Like these, the ones that you have over there, yeah. they come in packs of like 35 and then I would progress to the um, the, the the sports nozzle because mm-hmm. those were 24 ounces, mm-hmm. 24 by 24. And then eventually I was able to get to the six gallon. Yeah. And then there was bags of rices. I could only pick up the 25 bag of rice. And I can, then I progressed to the 50 pound bag of rice. And then I progressed to the 100 pound bag of rice. Yeah. And then I was working with Cubans, man, and they work, dude. <laughs> so yeah. it's not even like, you know, you're going to lift this. And so we would hand stack a truck, mm-hmm. load it up. The truck would head out uh, in the morning and come back empty because they just dropped off all yeah. the, they made all the deliveries by hand. Um, and when I say that I was working with Cubans, the reason being is because these guys did not work slowly. Mm-hmm. They taught, if you were working slow, you, 
you're like you're getting bullied, man. Right, right. Yeah, you're getting bullied. You're, you're, yeah. And so, Oye, Ramon, no, 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 no. And they'll say, no, no, no. They'll pick the guy that they'll have as an assistant on the truck. And they never wanted to take me because I was too small. Yeah. Too small, too slow. And that would piss me off. So mm-hmm. I'd always have to get faster, stronger, just, you know, make myself more useful. Yeah. Um, and then obviously my pay started increasing and mm-hmm. I started being taken more seriously. And yeah. then. And that, that's all a byproduct of being stronger, right? That's it. That's yeah. it. Because I had to carry. It's so interesting. So we're doing like I've started introducing farmers walks um, again, thanks to you, mm-hmm. because of the transfer to trunk stability mm-hmm. and how that transfers over to the squat bench deadlift. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize I've been doing farmers walk with like cases of water, cases oh, yeah. of soda. Yeah. That's Everyday what I was activity. doing at the warehouse. Yeah. And that's what really created that trunk stability for mm-hmm. me to go under the barbell at the age of 16, squat as to grass and just keep adding weight every week Mm -hmm. because I would go to the warehouse. I'd work a full time, like from six to six sometimes Mm -hmm. load up the truck at 6am, um, fill it up till 9am, 10am, they head out 10am to like 6pm. You're filling out the orders, Mm -hmm. uh, for the next day. And then you did it again. Right. And then after at 6 p.m., I'd go with my uncle, Uncle Hiron, and we'd go to Retro Fitness. We'd work together. Mm-hmm. We'd go to Retro Fitness together. We'd push each other. We'd truck some pre-workout, go lift, and then we would come back home at 9 p.m. We'd meal prep because we needed food for the next day. Cause, mm-hmm. And he was following me and all this, dude. Yeah. I feel so bad because he was he was just trusting everything I did. And, and, and it was just like a fool's method of tra- training a fool's method of nutrition um but he was so about it and we were just going to the gym uh i would load up 225 135 one week squat ass to grass because i read online that e- quarter squats suck and also i was wrestling at the time so i wanted to make sure that i was able to get into that what i know now know as deep hip flexion mm-hmm. i wanted to be able, be able to get into the, like that deep squat and still maintain strength because in wrestling you really really squat and low to the ground it wasn't the best technique it was pretty shitty technique self-taught youtube alan thrall mark bell um who else was i watching in terms of technique that's that's pretty much the guys i remember um and i would add 10 pounds next week and I would add 10 pounds a week after, and then I'd see 315, and I'm going to try 315. I'd fail 315. I'll try it again in 10 minutes. Try it again. Fail it again. I'll try it again next week. Try it again next week. Um, and then I read Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he, I heard that he had this one exercise, and I'm pretty sure it's false, but what he would do is like a pyramid, start with 135, add a plate, 225, add another plate, 315, do those each for 10 reps, work up to 405 for 10 reps, and then work his way back down doing 10 reps again with right. no break. And I read that. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that too. And I kept trying to do that. And so I built up the work capacity that I know now. I avoided injury because of all of the trunk stability work that I did at the warehouse. And, um, yeah, I never got hurt, thankfully. Yeah. Thank the Lord. I just never got hurt. Oh, yeah. You're at the ceiling all the time. You didn't get hurt. And I, exactly. Exactly. I, I was at the ceiling. I was always pushing it. I was so ego. Talking about the chip on your shoulder, mm-hmm. I'd walk into gyms, chip on my shoulder, like nobody could tell me nothing because I'm here deadlifting 500 pounds at, like, 19, you know. Yeah. And um, 
I, I did do a lot of studying though. I did look at the technique. I did watch the videos and I did look for mechanical tension, although unintentionally, if I didn't feel it like in my glutes, in my butt, in my hamstrings, in my quads, if I felt a little bit of like discomfort, I would stop. I, I that was the one thing I think I did very intelligently is I listened to the feedback of my body. Yeah. And if something felt wrong, I would just go down. I wouldn't fight it. Right. Yeah. I, if like a squat just fell off, and I, I didn't give a shit. I just dump it. And there were so many times I I dumped a four hundred, not dumped it because a four hundred ninety five pound squat dumped on the floor would be pretty bad at a retro fitness. Mm -hmm. But they had like the squat racks with the safeties, so right. it just. Yeah. yeah, they don't have they don't have a lot of free waste there. So maybe yeah, they have that little functional what quote unquote functional area. Exactly, and so like I, I many times I failed the five hundred pound squat in front of everybody, and I was like, well, Man, try it again. But you know, you had a long history there. You yeah, know, I'm, I I put myself in the recent bucket. I didn't get into strength training until I got hurt, and I used I started to learn relative strength. Right. Um. It my Pushing me to learn about strength training didn't happen until I got until I was into per personal training full time. Yeah, and I had um, my first client. Um, well, one of my first clients, and she, uh, you, um, she doesn't train with me anymore. But she comes to me, you know, she's like, "I need to, I need to get stronger." You know, it's like I, you know, I've, I, I don't, I, I want to look good, but that's not why I'm here. Mm. Um, and I'm like, "Oh, great, yeah, I, I just learned how to strength train now. No problem, we'll do this stuff." Um, Oh, low, low stuff, right? So picking up weights lower than my body weight, right? And she's like, yeah, I, I, you know, and let me tell you what my story is. And forever, I'll never forget this story. It has shaped how I think about program design for, for um, strength training. That's why I think carries is so important. You know, she had recently given birth. She's a mother of three, recently given birth. I think the kids were like, you know, close in succession, you know, maybe newborn, eight months, maybe five-year-old, eight-year-old. Her husband traveled a lot for work wasn't in town the apartment caught on fire so the house is the apartment's burning and she's you know she tries to go get the kids and she's sitting there she can't pick up all three kids she doesn't have the strength to pick up all three kids and she's sitting there contemplating which kid she's going to leave behind yeah this is her reason for strength training Luckily, a neighbor came. No problems. Neighbor came, helped her. They got out. Yeah, everyone's okay. Yeah. But, you know, she was, you know, not being strong or not having some some form of relative strength. And this was her reason for training. So uh. that so she would never have to try to make that decision again. Such a horrible decision, yeah. but it's very yeah. true. Yeah. That's, that's a real-life situation for yeah. a lot of people. That's a real-life situation. Yeah. I'm sitting there listening to the story, and I'm like, oh, my God, I know nothing about strength training. What? And, and so this is where I get mm. into the books, and I, I need to start understanding what is strength training. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, there's the force velocity curve. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, there's absolute strength. There's relative strength. There's power. There's speed strength. There's strength speed. What does she need to make this happen? Mm -hmm. um, and so, and then we talk about benchmarks. What, what's the one thing, you know, she's a mom, so she can only train with me once a week, right? So it's. If frequency is king, we're missing some puzzle pieces here. What can I give her that she's going to feel safe with? But that's actually going to help, help you know, do some things. It starts off with farmer's carry, and I wanted her to do some cleans, some kettlebell cleans. If she could clean, hey, that kind of that kind of models holding your kids. If we can get into a racked carry, that kind of models that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, over the course of two years, 
you know, training with me. I think she trained with me for four years, but over the course of two years, we gave her benchmarks like, hey, we need to farmers carry. We got to get you to farmers carry your weight because if you can't even farmers carry your weight, you know, you're never going to be able to get the kids. Mm -hmm. um, but most importantly, you got to be carry the kids. So it's about carrying them for stamina. How far if you've got to go down flights of steps with these kids, can you do that? But how do you get them? How do you get them into your arms? Oh, the I think the cleaner work for you. Let me show you what that looks like. You build on technique. She starts off with two eight kilo bell eight um, kilo bells, two eight kilos. That's all she could do when we started. I think the last time I talked to her, she's up to two twenty four kilo bells. Two twenty four. Yeah. Like yeah. wait, two two twenty four individual yeah. kilos. So what is that? Oh, and we're also talking kilos too. We're talking in kilos. So that's about forty. I think it's fifty four pounds. pounds. Yeah, fifty four pounds, right? Yeah, yeah. each. So two of them. So a hundred. So like a hundred. She's ten, yeah. hundred twenty. She starts training again. Fat loss is not necessarily the main objective right. here. She starts training. She's somewhere around one hundred and fifty five pounds. Again, mother of three. Right. Um, last time I talked to her, I think she was down to one twenty five. It's like, you know, the, the way I hear, I think about it is like fitness is about survival. Like we still need yeah. to survive in this world. Yeah. And uh, some of those survival points, it's not, it's not very common, you know, to be put in a situation where there's like a burning building and you got to carry your infants out. Um, but when, if, if yeah. that situation as arises. As far as few between as those situations are, it's almost like you need to be strong because it's not going to happen. This is not the movies that you're going to get an adrenaline uh, 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 adrenaline um, bump and lift up a car. Like, right. no, that's not going to happen. In real life, you either can or you can't. Right. Right. In so nature. We should probably be not... training to some degree, to some capacity. So hopefully that, that problem never happens to you. You never have to pick up a car. You never have to try right. to pick up all your kids. Um, but if it does happen, you're good. Right. You're good. You're strong. You're fast. You you get out of the building. You move out of the way of the car. You know, and that, that's that's what you, I mean. Her story. I, I tell that story to almost everyone. Her story is what transformed my education about learning about all the different metrics of strength. Um, and now I, I just straight build programs to relative strength. Yeah. What, what's your base? Hey, can you squat, bench, deadlift, pull up? You three by ten? No, that's the starting point. Everything else is icing on the cake. That's like, beautiful. Yeah. We need to start there and then performance, technically speaking, performance starts after that. I love that because that's like a, not what I'm used to. In my world, we're used to like, oh, I just want to hit a higher total. I want to be big and strong. Yeah. And I just want like to hit like a 315 pound bench. I want to hit like a 400, 500 pound squat. And for what reason do you want to do that much weight? Oh, because it just makes me feel good. Right. And, I, and that's all because I, it kind of feeds the ego in a way mm -hmm. as we're, which isn't bad because. I have an ego too. I mean, I don't think ego is always a bad thing. It's kind of necessary at points. But I also think that uh, just doing it for the sake of being able to do it should the moment demand it mm -hmm. is a very, very good reason to get into some form of strength training. Yeah. You never want to be too weak. Right. And I think about that video. You, saw, you seen that video online with, yeah. with the chick that was in the gym and some dude, like she opened up the door because she thought that he was just trying to get into like use the equipment oh yes i saw that yeah. she's in the gym she let them in thinking he's gonna win and yeah and he, he attacks he's her trying to force I himself on her yeah. yeah and she's able to like fend him off even though she has no martial arts background she mm. doesn't do any like boxing just I, strong trying. yeah i'd imagine that guy just was so shocked at how strong mm -hmm. she was that mm -hmm. he got scared he got spooked and i just think about holy shit 
what a moment to be so grateful that you've put in all yeah. those years of training, you know, for this yeah. one moment where you just got to defend yourself. And, you know, you use that word weak and some people get sensitive to that word. And, right. you know, you try as best as you can to sugarcoat things. And I try as best as I can not because mm -hmm. like you're weak, you're not strong relative to your body weight. In real life situations, you either can or you can't. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to help you can all the time. Yeah. And I think that you have to, that's where you have to be objective. Like this is objectively, you're yeah, weak. I'm not talking about your, yeah, yeah, exactly. The data is the data. I'm not talking about your. You can either pick this weight up or you can. You can, yeah, you can either pick this weight up or you can. You can either sprint out of this building yeah. or you can't. Or you can either jump out of this building to some capacity and survive or you won't. Like, and, and that, that starts with training. And that's very simple question. Answer is you can't, yeah. then you're sort of weak. Like, yeah. objectively speaking, not your morals, yeah. not your like work ethic just your physical ability yeah. to perform a task by that judgment you're weak mm -hmm. so let's get the training buddy and what's cool is um and then I, I gotta end it on this note gotta make the train yeah and what's cool is as we get stronger right i'm talking about strength for emergency situations but as you get stronger everything that we want we want to look good hmm. we want to feel good we want to be healthy you know everything happens as a byproduct of getting stronger right so we do some stamina work we do a little bit of endurance work we get strong and everything else that we're looking for that most people are looking for just happens and isn't that interesting and, and we'll wrap it up but i just think it's interesting because that's sort of like in my opinion the way i interpret that is you are now resembling a individual who's fit and capable of surviving and passing on like reproducing and yeah I'm gonna get this trademark. I say this all the time, but you're base. You're base human now. Right. Right. You can you can squat, bench, pull up, um, deadlift your body weight three by ten. You're base human. That should be base human. Right. Let's get there. And that's why maybe that's why we find muscles so sexy. It's like, yeah. oh man, he or she is capable of. Yeah. Just just surviving. Get, just get strong. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a you just get strong. That, yeah. The muscles will come. Survival. Survival gets better. Cool. Well, thank you for coming. Yeah, this was um, fun. Yeah, man, we're definitely gonna do this again. Yeah, let's Appreciate do it again. Let's. You, we're talking about the average Joe. We can get into some programming stuff. Ooh. Um, I like to nerd out on some things. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so. We talked about for some this. concepts like trunk stability, motor yeah. control. What really? Why? What is that? Why does it matter? Oh, dude, yeah. we're gonna get into some stuff. I got some. I got some ideas that I think you're gonna really enjoy. Nice. That. Uh, yeah, some projects. I was talking Excellent. to Eric about it. Just some projects. Uh, yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed. I hope it was interesting. Absolutely. If people wanted to get into contact with you, if people wanted to reach out to you, how would they do that? Yeah, so really big, building my digital presence this, uh, this year. Um, got Mitch Bernier Coaching. Um, you can find that at, at um, um, Instagram, Mitch Bernier Coaching. Um, you you want to find me on some YouTube stuff. I've got Mitch Bernier Coaching on there as far as blo uh, some blogs with some of my athletes. Also, I have Mitch Bernier Coaching Library um, for just simple stuff that I think the average Joe, the average Jane can start doing at at-home workouts, looking to build uh, more. That, that library is slowly starting to become more gym-related, but the stuff that's in there now, people could just start doing on their own at you know base human, catastatic level. Um, yeah, um, if, Twitter, run Coach Mitch. Okay. Awesome. Uh, and yeah, that's it. That's it.